0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our Unnamed Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about our second day in Vienna. My name's Davison.
1: I'm Osniv. And I'm Will. Today's episode is sponsored by the beautiful Viennese weather today. We had a high of 36 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, I still can't do a conversion, so I couldn't tell you in Celsius. Um, But we also had some lovely scattered snow showers and rain that we got to walk around in all day. So shout out to the weather.
2: Well, what we got to do all day, we got to spend three hours in rehearsal. How did you all feel about that?
0: I I feel like it was a really good time. I feel like um, the first hour that we had with Dr. Kawakami, um, we played the magic flute. And one other song, Ozzy, do you remember what the other song was? Yes,
1: we worked on the, uh, the Mozart Symphony Number no. 25 as well. Um, and the Schubert. And the Schubert, the, un- the famous Unfinished Symphony. Because uh, it's unfinished because he died before he could finish writing it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, anyway.
2: Um, I found our uh, guest conductor, uh, Jörg, very interesting. The, um, especially with his commentary on how a lot of, of manuscripts and uh, printed sheet music would end up being changed to avoid a copyright claim.
0: Ooh. Yeah, that was very interesting to see. Like, um, He would ask, I think one of the times it was the timpani, uh, kind of did a trill, um, and he said, why are you doing that, and it's just written in the part, and he was like, no, that's just so they can avoid copyright infringement. So it was, uh, they ended up changing it to just eighth notes, so it was pretty interesting.
1: That actually goes along with one of our guiding questions uh, that addresses one of our guiding questions for this trip. Um, I'll quick elaborate for the folks of you who don't know what a guiding question is. So our professors wrote four guiding questions uh, that can be answered at the end of this trip uh, by the students who attend, obviously. And one of them um, asks how in what ways can you see history being preserved or not preserved? Uh, and so I think that's a really good example. The like, what was it? The editor yeah. um, publisher, Thomas, yeah. was a refugee, yes. and he made a living in America. Um, by he,
2: I'm not sure about where he ended up heading to. Yeah. But he, uh, he would keep on uh, taking the, uh, classical music, and the copyright is still. In an interesting f- phrase, even today, mm. especially about public domain, that the they would change the uh, just some of the part individual details of the music to say it was a different uh, style or rendition of this piece, a, a public domain piece, and be able mm-hmm. to sell it.
1: Mm. And that um. was in order to make it more marketable, probably. Enter- or you know, he mentioned the part that this. Again, same thing with that with that trill. I remember he explained most um, thoroughly. It was it's more of a romantic effect, but that's what was interesting at the time that it was published that way.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, according to Jorg, there was a big surge in romanticizing uh, classical and Baroque pieces, mm-hmm. um, including more of the uh, some of the dynamics not being uh, terraced or very clear or some of how we accent with the uh, sforzanzas. Mm-hmm. And one of the challenges for today in present uh, musicians is to be able to go back and play it classically and show it and create the feel of the music without basically almost influencing it by our own opinions of how it should be played. I think a lot of times he said, don't play what you hear, play what you see. Right,
1: mm-hmm. right. Yeah. And one more observation I had was that um, at one point, so Yerg um, speaks Span- he think he is, he's Spanish, right? Nice. Don't don't fact check us. Um, but he speaks Spanish, German, and English. But English is definitely not his first language. But at one point in the rehearsal, he was like, "Ah, how do you say it in English?" And instead of explaining it in language he began to sing the part instead and so that was kind of a aha moment for me like ooh, music is universal so exactly even when we can't speak with the same language it could be the music could be communicated that way
2: yeah quick aside with a york Uh, davidson and i along with the low strings and timpani went early to grab our or at least to find our instruments and to test them Mm. what since we were able to get there a little early he gave us almost a a bit of a tour as we went along through yes. Vienna mm. and that ability to both communicate clearly to mm. us and give it, uh, us a more, uh, larger understanding of how, about Vienna, including conversations about World War II, um,
0: World War I also, and I think or, we talked about.
2: Yeah, especially the, didn't you mention the bomb, about, uh, bombs being found f- that were dropped oh. during the wars? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: We saw the co- the Soviet monument too. Did, you, did he pe- point that out to you guys? I we walked past a monument that was built. You know. Anyway. Yeah, yeah so it's, it's very interesting <laughs> to
0: see like a completely different side of history. I, I think that we we all learned about in high school and mm-hmm. maybe even in college if we've taken certain classes. But it's just interesting to get a whole new perspective, like just.
2: Being here
0: and mm-hmm. experiencing
2: it all, yeah. Especially, I mean, we have a. I mean, we're all from the U.S., and they have a very um, self-centric history teaching. Mm. True. So, very being true. able to get it from other people who don't share that educa- uh, same style of education allows us to give just a broader perspective. Mm-hmm. Right. It's definitely a, a
0: interesting thing when you're able to kind of see cool. history. Um, as it happened
2: and where it happened, I guess. Yeah. Uh, next on our day, we had a one and a half hour masterclass where the President's String Quartet, which is currently the principal chairs of each of the strings, uh, each of the violins, seconds, violas, and cellos, or Mm cellies, the, and basically played and were critiqued by a director of the um, Vienna Vienna Music School that that it was housed in and was also a member of, uh, I think, a Viennese quartet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And one of the interesting things about that style, um, before I do that, first question, has anyone played in masterclass?
1: Um, yes, but not for such a prestigious, yeah. you, um, uh, what do we call him? Well. Or guest. Yes. Yeah, guests. it was very, it
0: was very interesting to, um, kind of listen to them. Not only did they sound amazing, I think we we're going to play a clip at the end of our podcast, so stay tuned for that, but it was it was just amazing to hear how confidently they were able to play. the. Mm-hmm. You could hear the technique. You could hear all the meticulous choices in their fingerings. And it was just very awesome to kind of um, experience that. Even though we were sitting there for an hour and a half, it was right. like the music made it so enjoyable, I think.
1: And especially high pressure, because you know, for the violinists, because here's this uh, this man who's just been introduced to us as one of the best violin teachers. Uh, in this country, so <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I can only ima- as a violinist, I can only imagine how that must have felt. But they they pulled it off really well, in yeah. my opinion.
0: And there were very small things that I noticed he was uh, mentioning to them. I think one of the things that he mentioned was um, one of the violinists maybe wasn't vibrating on both of uh, the Fs that she played, and it was <laughs> it was really funny because I think we all looked at each other and kind of laughed because. Um, she played it the first time and no one would have noticed that right. except this professor. And then she played it again uh, the way that uh, he told her to, and it was just, it was, it was like an aha moment kind of for everyone. <laughs> it was like, how did you notice that?
2: Yeah, with these master classes, especially with um, a high level, such as the Presence String Quartet, mm-hmm. they're basically inviting a uh, guest or a teacher to pick apart their piece step by step and doing anywhere from minor tweaks to artistic interpretations Mm. and allowing them to eventually improve the music to in a way that sounds almost completely different from before.
1: That was a really good explanation. Mm -hmm.
2: Um, And watching the, at least for me, watching the interaction between the uh, quartet was Mm. one of my uh, favorite parts. The there you could see some especially newer quartets will struggle to basically communicate they can play <laughs> the part but they aren't one mm. they're not one basically organism or one part of music with them it was either there or so close that it was hard to tell the difference between them Playing as a unit and then mm-hmm. playing as individual musicians. Yeah, just the
0: way they were able to look each other, look at each other, and kind of give each other these subtle nods and um, cues. It was just really cool to um, see how obviously they're um, they're really working hard together. You can tell um, that they're putting in a lot of time to like actually practice with each other and really like form. And I, I I kind of noticed like a really strong bond between them. It was yeah. just really nice to see how. Um, how one they were with the music
1: The smiles and the shared glances They yeah. really enjoy playing together as well So definitely Good role models And something that we can kind of Look up to So thanks PSQ Yep.
2: And then we went to the Haydn house Where uh, Haydn Basically bought A Vienna, uh, Viennese house And at first his wife lived there until she died but then eventually he moved in and ended up would work and compose music there Mm -hmm. and then after he died it got turned into a museum about Haydn and shared a bit about his work and some of the differences between him and other composers Mm -hmm. so what did you all think about that? I think it was really fun.
0: I kind of want to go back to our sponsor today, which was the rain and the snow. Um, I think um, the weather today really um, made us want to get in that house more than I think we did at at <laughs> yeah. first. But it was it was really amazing. Um, we split up because we had so many people, but um, it was really nice to go around and kind of um, see all these small things. Like at first, I kind of saw like a bunch of different pictures, and I was like, "How does this relate to Haydn? But um, I, as we were going through the museum, it was really um, interesting, kind of seeing, um, you know, these maps of Vienna, kind of the old routes that um, would be taken around the city, and just like um, overall, we kind of got a really in-depth look
2: into Haydn's life in Vienna. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The um, a few interesting things I found about him well, uh, were his sharing of music throughout the um, to his pupils mm. which apparently yes. at the time and before that wasn't common they would keep the music and would be basically auction off when he died he was also a notoriously hard uh, negotiator mm. <laughs> uh, I Beethoven uh, there's a quote from Beethoven talking about him supposedly selling the same manuscript to different uh buyers oh yeah which I found both funny uh, and it makes it makes a bit more sense, especially with how much he had to work to get a very strong lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, one of the coolest things that I think I saw there was um, a co- both of the pianos that were upstairs had like inverted colors on the keys. So the oh, um, yes. the the regular um, keys were not white as ivory, but they were actually the black keys and it was switched. So I just thought that was something interesting that we saw there.
1: It's interesting to, um, to you know, as budding musicians we are, um, it was interesting to compare the lives, you know, the lifestyle and the work, sort of work life mm-hmm. of um, professionals in the music field then compared to now, um, which, you know, we had a very good look at.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um and did you see the Brahms dedicated room in the yeah. uh, top floor?
1: Yes, there was one room uh that was filled with Brahms artifacts because Brahms's flat was burned in a fire. Um and since the Haydn House had room bin, they you know, they moved the Brahms's furniture, um, a nice portrait of him and some of his manuscripts in there as well.
2: Yeah. He was Uh, considered a great um, admirer of Haydn's work. Yes. And it's interesting seeing the steps in music and composing that comes forward. I mean, you have uh, stuff of Mozart and Haydn talk together. Beethoven challenged Haydn's ideals and uh, standards of classical music. You have people like Brahms paying attention and being admirers and learning from each person at, and you can see just as music evolves both with the time but also with the individual composers who help lead the cultural shift
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: and then uh, we actually had de- uh, dinner at a place that was, the restaurant was made in the 1870s? 1872. I
1: thought it was 1780-something. Yeah. It, well, it, it, it was a butcher shop in 17, 1785.
2: Mm, mm, I know it was in the uh Late, late 1700s. Late 1700s. <laughs> and then I knew it was late 1800s in the, like, or late 1870s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turned into a restaurant that we were able to eat at. Yeah. And apparently, the it's remained uh, largely unchanged. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah,
0: it was kind of interesting. Dr. Kawakami yeah. was like, um, some of the famous composers that we listen to now, yeah. um, they might have been
2: there at some point, which is kind of yeah. cool to think about. Who
1: knows? It's
2: interesting seeing it last that long yeah. through multiple world wars and just the mix of recessions and the economic uh, prospects True. Mm-hmm. as it's a and it also helped reaffirm a uh, different style of eating in comparison to the us mm-hmm. oh yeah
0: yeah yeah
1: and it was yummy
2: yeah, it was it really was good <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: Luckily, the food was has not been around since the 1800s yeah <laughs>
2: anyways yeah. let's talk about the highs and lows uh let we start us off
1: I will start with our low of the day, uh, so after the rehearsal um, that ended around noon, we were given about an hour for lunch uh, and there were a bunch of so so cellos cellists didn't bring their instruments uh, they just brought their bows, which is easily well maybe not easily, uh, but carried in a small tube um, pretty portable, but violinists, violists all had their own instruments, uh, as well as winds and brass, I believe. Um, we all had our instruments, so we wanted to drop those off back at our hostel, um, instead of carrying them around, you know, to lunch, to the master class, to the museums, the rest of the day. Ah, that would have been a great idea if we efficiently made our way back, but we got lost a couple times, uh, and by the time we finally got back to the hostel and were ready to leave again, it was 12.45, and we needed to be somewhere at 1.05, and we were given uh, the travel time to get to the destination where we had to be at 1.05. We, basically, we didn't get there until 1.15, <laughs> so we did not have lunch, and Instead of lunch, we navigated the uh, the bus and the subway station. Um, so we were a little bit hungry, but dinner made up for that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was definitely an amazing dinner. Yes. Yeah, um, so but fun. yeah, cellos actually did have a little bit of an adventure ourselves in the mm-hmm. building. We never actually left the rehearsal hall. We had to find out where to put our cellos, but ah. um, we did have a little bit of time. Will and I to go get lunch. So
2: that yes. was pretty fun. It was fun. The we basically got to wander around uh, a little bit in the Viennese uh, district. We met up, even met up with uh, the uh, PSQ. Oh, um, yeah, we did. But, um, and then we had a few little mishaps. Trying to find the ATM was one. Uh, trying to go to a small town, a uh, small basically cafe, buffet type thing. Yeah. And And half of us have fifty dollar euro or fifty euro (sighs) bills yeah and we tried to break that um was not a fun time
0: it all worked out it did I think we I think we had a rather good day today not too many lows um, yeah besides (laughs) a a a few people ending up missing lunch that was pretty unfortunate but
1: um, we survived
0: yeah we survived so I guess
2: we can talk about our highs then since yeah um it was a rather good day Um, um uh speaking of the food uh the a lot of the meals have been pretty uh, uh, celiac-friendly.
1: Yeah, it will. And peanut-friendly. I haven't yeah. seen peanuts on a menu.
2: <laughs> I mean, as while some of the popular choices of beer and schnitzel obviously have, contain gluten, mm-hmm. the, there have been, in each place I've been to, have been options that have both allowed me to eat and allowed me to actually eat enough. Which, when traveling, and even just going into places in the U.S., is not a common occurrence. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually pretty neat. And the menus that we got today actually had
0: um, some of those codes on there, so you could see what was and wasn't good. That's
1: different here. The allergen codes. So they have like letters A through M or so. Yeah. Um, and each one stands for a different allergen. And if it's featured on, if it's if it's the if that capital letter is on the menu next to the name of something, you know that it contains that allergen, uh, which is really nice. Yeah. What did you all eat tonight?
0: Oh, tonight um, that actually is a perfect transition into my height. We went <laughs> to um, um, we went to this um, building that we were talking about earlier, um, and I guess um, one of the best things to get in Vienna is Wiener Schnitzel or just Schnitzel in general. So um, I ended up getting. Um, schnitzel with lemon and potato wedges it was
2: amazing what about you guys um i end up with the gluten-free option Schnitzels is the option, of course <laughs> but uh i was able to have some grilled fish with a salad mm. and uh, potato wedges as well oh, sweet those salads looked really
1: good <laughs> oh i didn't see one we had uh, some interesting potato salads at our table um but my entree was a, what was it called? Um, onion roast. So it was a piece of, you know, a good helping of um, beef that was cooked in a really delicious gravy. Um, covered in crispy fried onions uh, with potatoes on the side, of course. It was everyone's, a meat and potatoes everyone's kind of eating, night. Yeah. 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 Everyone's
0: getting hungry just listening to this now. Oh, so. it was
1: drool-worthy. Yeah. yeah,
0: it was really fun. Yeah, so um, I guess my last side of the day um, that I think Oznev and I shared was <laughs> we ended up taking a train from um, the dinner and we went to go get some dessert at a really amazing um, ice cream slash... Um, uh, gelato place. Um, we got these big margarita glasses filled with just ice cream and ice cream and more ice cream. It was amazing. Yeah,
1: different flavors. You had the tiramisu one, right? Yes,
0: tiramisu was yeah. amazing.
1: We got like a sort of a ch- molten chocolate cake with gelato on top as well. So, oh, we're all stuffed and happy.
0: Yep, ready to go to bed. Ready
1: for bed. Uh, so, I guess I'll end on. One more high, so I guess this is a music trip. I really enjoyed hearing some great music today, thanks to the President String Quartet. Um, we'll play that for you, but before we go, I'm Ozneve.
0: I'm Will. And I'm Davison. And
1: this has been another episode of the Unnamed Podcast.
0: We'll probably See, think of something soon. We'll <laughs> think of it
1: soon. Um, until next time, tune in tomorrow. Bye!